Hello and welcome to Where's the Exit? I'm your host, Steve Blake, and today I'm joined by Meredith, Meredith Struby. Welcome to the show, Meredith. Thank you, Steve. Great. And for folks who don't know you already, uh, there might be some listening to it who don't. I, mean, I think many will. But what can you just tell us a bit about your background, sort of how you got maybe into the profession, what you've done since then, and, and where, you, where you are and what you're doing now? Sure. Um, I'm an intellectual property attorney based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Been practicing for about 20 years um, in private practice, focusing mainly on patent prosecution and opinion work. Um, I became managing partner at the firm in 2021. So I'm going into my third year. Um, I've been leading our, yeah, leading (laughs) our um, DEI efforts at the firm the last three years. And um, yeah. And the firm is oh Munier, Carlin and Kerfman. Yeah, this is your this is your your chance to do a plug, and you, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. Can we redo that one? <laughs> no, no, we can't. It's fine. Honestly, it's fine. Um, so you mentioned DEI then, and so that's a good place to start because until I think when I emailed you, I said D and I, and then you came back very graciously, which you always do, and corrected me without correcting me just by saying DEI in 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 response but I think it's a good place to start which is sort of like what is the right what's I mean what's the terminology to use what's the correct terminology to use and what can we get a definition of what we mean by DEI other than just the words I mean you can say the words but what, what do we really mean when we talk about that sure so I think diversity like it refers to like a fact yeah. it's like um how we differ so yeah. you know what um what demographic a person may be in and then like what perspectives might people bring to a conversation. Um, yeah. They might bring diverse perspectives um, and come from diverse backgrounds. Um, equity refers to like, like fair treatment. Like, um, like how do we, um, how do we value people? Yeah. How do we, yeah. how do we treat them? How do we um, consider them for um, promotions or um, yeah. leadership roles um and then inclusion um that that's about like um like also how we like treat each other in the way of like do how do we make each other feel psychologically safe um how do we encourage people to use their voice um exert their authority share their influence um and then when we have diversity equity and inclusion in a culture um, then we can create this culture of belonging where people feel like they can bring their ideas, their whole selves, sure. their their thoughts to the table. Um, yeah. So having diversity without inclusion isn't going to reap the benefits of um, Got it. a culture that of belonging. Yeah. Okay. So this, this like in all of those. So first, let's take each one of those and maybe break it down a bit. But like diversity. So obviously, you can have that across lots of different spectrum spectra i guess is the plural spectrum but uh, lots of different spectra right so so that could you could potentially have a diverse group of i don't know like white males right you could you have that is that well i think when we think about diversity oftentimes we're referring to underrepresented groups so yeah. um to the extent that those white men have you know like that they're underrepresented in some way so maybe they might be members of the lgbtq community or they may have um, a different ability um and so we're not you know there's there's the voices that are always at the table and then the voices that are not often at the table and what voices are underrepresented at the table and that's what i wanted to get to was that sort of underrepresentation 
uh-huh. sort of aspect of it, right? So, uh-huh. and that's a great way of saying it, which is the voices that are always at the table and the voices that are less often at the table. Uh-huh. And is that really what, I mean, if you were to sum it all up into, into one sort of fundamental concept, is that what we're really trying to do is get more of those voices that are seldom there, there and able to sort of, to use their voice? Yes. I mean, I think that's, yes, that's useful. Um, that's a lot of the, um, so there's like the moral imperative, like it's just yeah. wrong, right? To like yeah. leave those voices yeah. out. Like, I don't think anybody, well, well some people would disagree, but um, hopefully those listening won't. Um, but then like the, there, I mean, there's tons of studies and I don't want to go into the data because it's, it can be boring, but um, it's, it's well known that having, um, diverse teams and inclusive cultures that are treated equitably have better outcomes in these homogeneous teams. You're going to have like more productivity, less turnover, um, a better ability to understand the market and the customer needs, um, a better ability to recruit top talent, um, more positive imaging and branding. um, And it's more fun and interesting. I mean, who doesn't like learning about people like, you know, the, the curiosity piece, like it's just, it's just interesting to the, Oh, you know, that's different than what I, that's different than my point of view and um and, and understanding that and being curious about people yeah and and those, those things so go over those things that you said again if you can remember them um sure. but so the the outcomes like the, like the beneficial outcomes are can you can you go through because some of those I sort of I, I wanted to sort of understand whether or not you had any ideas on on why why that is well I think just I can go through the outcomes again but I think the overarching piece of it is the psychological safety that these cultures create. And so when people feel psychologically safe, they have the capacity to be creative. They're not wasting energy fighting, you know, the internal voice triggered by a microaggression or a big aggression. So when you have people that are using their energy toward their work and their like the thing that lights them up as opposed to the thing that makes them feel put down, of course, you're going to have more productivity. Of course, you're going to have more ideas shared yeah. around products and, um, you know, customer approaches and how to, you know, manage a group of people. Like you're you're going to get the kind of feedback that you want because people feel safe sharing it. Yeah. Um, less turnover. Um, you're going to have so so if you think about you know big picture an organization, it it costs money to train people and to get them up to speed, and it and yeah. it's it's devastating when a good person leaves your organization and so but when we have psychologically safe spaces to do our job we don't people are less likely to leave because that's that's such a rare thing (laughs) I think a lot of underrepresented people would you know we've we all have our stories and and to find a place where you feel safe is is a is a gym so yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) um, you have less turnover um and then because you have these different voices you have these different perspectives coming forth like you do have a you increase the opportunity to better understand the market and the customer um i think that one you can see clearly right i mean if you're taking on a broader range of views then you're obviously going to Unless your market happens to be really, really narrowly focused on a on a on a <laughs> a not underrepresented group, then you you know you're gonna you're gonna see benefits there definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, with with these you know the millennial and the Gen Z, you know this this generation is demanding um, psychologically safe places to work. Um, yeah. And so when we have these types of cultures already built, 
um, then we are better able to recruit top talent and keep them, sure. um, which is just, it's just better. Um, it's more efficient for the organization, right? It's better yeah. for the people. Um, and again, you get, it's more fun. Yeah. Um, so, and, yeah. And when you describe it as psychologically safe, it's kind of weird that nobody's demanded that before, but maybe people have been demanding it, but they haven't been listened to. Um, I think maybe that's probably um, more accurate. Yeah, I think it's hard to demand that. I think it, um, many of us might have had not had the language before to even know like sure. how to ask for it. Um, yeah. What does it look like? Um, yeah. it, I mean, it's an abstract idea, but then like, what's the how? Like, what's the um, we're going to get the more that. concrete, <laughs> yeah. yeah, ways to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and then I mean, it's it's just it's what it's it's what we grow up in. It's yeah. our society, and so it's it's hard to understand how to ask for something different. Yeah. And it would, I, I mean, personally, I think it would be a weird person that um, that disagreed with any of the ideals around what, what you were just saying there. I mean, why would you want to build something that excluded um, a certain group or, or that made people feel psychologically unsafe? I don't think anybody, or certainly nobody I know, uh, would want to would want to do that. But beyond that, beyond it being like the, the right thing to do, right, which I think everybody's kind of known Hopefully everyone's known for a long time, right? I mean, it's sort of, it's been that way for a long time that everyone's kind of understood that that's just not a nice thing to do. But are there any sort of, um, I don't want to boil it down to this, part of me doesn't want to boil it down to this, but are there any sort of like reasons, commercial reasons? We've talked on about a few of them there, why why firms should care. We've talked about a few of them there, but also why clients should care. So ultimately, firms are in it to make money and there's lots of advantages that you just mentioned there about sort of... um, uh, you know, retention of people, making people feel feel safe, getting a better understanding of um, the market, things like that. But is there are there sort of direct reasons why clients should care about the firms that they hire doing a lot better on uh, DEI? Outside of the moral imperative? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, for the same reasons that any organization would want those, like those voices at the table, um, having... Um, a more diverse group of uh, service professionals, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, g- gives you that broader range of understanding about yeah. what the client's problems are, um, what their products are intended to do. Um, you yeah. know, in our field, like for patent law, right, we're looking like not just what the inventor brings to the table, but the potential for that invention, yeah, and helping them understand like it's not just you know they might come to you and say like. I want a patent. And you're like, hang on a second. There's a lot of ways to protect this. Right. And so having um, the point of view or, or the ability to like see past just the question asked of you, um, I think is important. Um, if you, there was a study done, um, there was a report I was reading about uh, a few weeks ago um, about like banking solutions and yeah. how if you don't involve people who've had different experiences with banking systems, um, you might not get the best solutions, right? Like if you have yeah. been, if your community has been underserved by the banking solutions to date and you don't ask people who have been, had that experience, then that can um, limit yeah. the solutions that you come up with to serve more communities. So yeah. having like patent attorneys, patent agents that are, you know, have these diverse backgrounds can lend to a richer understanding of the invention of the potential of the invention or uh, whatever the intellectual property is that that the the client's trying to protect. 
And all of those benefits that you mentioned that would be sort of internal to the culture of the firm, I guess that they're, they're kind of mirrored in the, the way that the service is delivered, right? I mean, it's sort of- Right. And it's not just the benefit, like DEI is not just beneficial to people in underrepresented groups. I mean, it creates like a organizations that have a strong um, commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion also tend to have like stronger um, cultures of belonging and engagement. And so when you're hiring your patent agent, patent attorney, um, trademark lawyer, litigation counsel, you know, whatever need you have, don't you want that person to be engaged and love their job and and feel like they're surrounded by a team that supports them yeah. and each other like that's and that that that's, would that's that who would, I want on my team so absolutely and that and that yeah. would benefit as I think as I think you just said uh, and apologies if I'm, I'm sort of repeating what you have just said but that would benefit even the people that are sort of that culture benefits everybody not just the guys from the underrepresented group that are sort of you know now feeling a lot better about where they're working but also the people who sort of it's just a nicer place to be for everybody right mm-hmm. yeah no doubt about yeah, that yeah. Um, everyone feels more psychologically safe but in a way that is inclusive not yeah. just um psychologically safe to be you know and something else occurred to me um when you were talking about um all of that and and it's a question i have that just sort of flashed into my mind because i've heard it said before that like sort of and I've heard it said when it comes to, in particular, to women in in leadership roles, that actually uh, women bring a set of qualities um, that it's hard to find in men, um, or men certainly bring a different set of qualities. And some of those qualities, if not all of those qualities that are brought by female leadership, are sort of can really, really help in the role of being a leader. But it, I wonder to what extent you feel like that is is it dangerous to make generalizations like that? Aren't we kind of, are we doing the same thing again, sort of by saying that, you know, women are like this and men are like this? Um, I mean, is that is that a fair thing to say or is it not? And it was, uh, that, that question just occurred to me. So. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the brain is wired to make generalizations. Like we, we're wired to take that's shortcuts. We, do, right? we yeah, could not <laughs> handle all the input into our brains um, if we weren't wired this way. And so then yeah. there's like this implicit bias that forms and that we have yeah. to mitigate when we're um, we're making decisions, right? Yeah. So um, on the one hand, there are studies that show that like, for let's just take like male and female, like that binary yeah. thing. So like women may they might do a study and say like women tend to communicate using this type of language and men tend to communicate using this type of language and women tend to approach problems this way and men tend to approach problems that way. I think it's important to understand what, um, what tends to be so that it can lead to uh, a greater understanding of what's being said by each group. But I think we have to be careful, you know, not to generalize because Not all women are the same and not all men are the same. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. we have to, we have to sort of hold, it has to be both. Like there's the, there's tendencies and those, you know, we have to understand those. And then we also have to understand people can be different. So um, <clears throat> like, for example, um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, well, I've thought about that before. And the way you characterized it is, is kind of, I, th- I think, perfect in that the generalization is sort of, is true in a general sense, right? Because it's a generalization. Mm-hmm. But then if you allow that to bias your decision-making when it comes to an individual, 
then that's probably that feels that feels wrong right yes. um is yes. and is that the difference it's okay to sort of make generalizations as long as they remain <laughs> general in all aspects um yeah and being curious like if if i um so a generalization might be um, people from non-dominant groups, like, for example, women or people of color might feel um, like they have to prove themselves in a way that yeah. like a person from a more dominant group or a dominant group would not feel that. Right. And so they might feel like, OK, I can't have any mistakes in my paper. So they they might, for example, overwork something. Yeah. So knowing that that might be a tendency that's it, it like a white straight man may also do that. Right. (laughs) But, and so like (laughs) having that understanding that people might have that tendency and, and why, right. Um, allows you to, um, manage that behavior with greater Mm -hmm. empathy. So if somebody comes to me and says, Meredith, you've spent five hours working on something that I thought was only going to take you an hour. What happened? Are you feeling like you need to make it perfect because you don't, then I could be, I'd be like, yeah, actually I was. And thank you for yeah. noticing that and, and releasing me yeah. from that. But if it was not because of that, I could say, no, that's not why it's because of this. And then that person, as long as they're open to hearing what that reason is, that's yeah. helpful. Right. But, yeah. you know, but I think you sort understanding of... that there are these tendencies and where people are coming from allows you to, I think, communicate and like show empathy. But you, you also have to be open to the fact that like you might be wrong and just get over it. Like if you're yeah. wrong, it's no big deal. You tried, you know, you were you were trying to be helpful. Like Yeah. That, but that, I think, I think that's I what think, people want. <laughs> and, and we spoke about this before we started recording. Um, but for me, there's um there's a nervousness around talking about the issue. Uh, uh-huh. I guess that you feel it as well. I guess that everybody feels it. Um, you should, yeah, yeah. Some, I mean, I think degree. yeah. Yeah, but how? I mean, that does that Im- impact on our ability to be able to to make progress as quickly as we might all want to? The fact that you know we feel nervous about talking openly about it, and I'll be honest with you, like at least half a dozen times in the twenty minutes we've been talking, I've thought, God, is that going to sound bad? Am, am I am I am I sounding like you know insensitive in some way or or anything like that? But Ultimately, at the, at, if it, at its root, it's about learning and wanting to understand, and it's coming from that place. Yes, but, but it doesn't always feel like um, it's received in in that way. And I guess that's probably why some people feel a bit sort of nervous about talking about it. And it's one of the things. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop talking in a minute. I'm supposed to be interviewing you, aren't I? But <laughs> it's a problem I have, right? But it's one of the things that I've always loved about the way that you've you've gone about this and we'll talk a bit more in, in, a, in a while about how you've gone about it, but you've, I think you've talked to me before about removing the judgment aspect of any of this. We're doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Doing because it anyway. it's, it's, it's anything you do, like it's not courageous if it doesn't feel scary. Yeah. It's not brave if it's not scary. Right. Yeah. That's just a thing you do. If it's not yeah. scary to you, then you can't call it brave. Yeah. Um, and so I think this work um, you're right. I do think the fear is what holds us back. Um, for some people, it's a fear of being wrong. And then for some people, it's a fear of not wanting to cause more harm. That's it. That I'm a little more sympathetic to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I appreciate it because I feel it myself. Um, you know, I'm in a dominant group. And so it, Mm -hmm. it, to the extent I'm talking to people who are in a less dominant group than me, like it makes me, I'm, I am nervous. I don't want to cause more harm, but I'll never, I can't be the ally that I want to be unless I, ask for what 
that group needs or how can I show up and support and how can I center your experience um, and not mine Yeah. Um, to be led and, and to understand what the problem is. Like, I don't, I don't get to define the problem from my perspective, like as a white woman. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't that's have not to for tell me to me. define. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean... so I think um, you asked me earlier, like what this work can do um, in organizations, like how can it benefit organizations? And I think in, in like client um, relationships. And I, I think what we learned through this practice, what we've learned as a firm through our journey is um, how to listen, mm. like really listen yeah. and understand what people are saying and hold their experience, um, hold space for that and yeah. um, not judge that experience that they had, not um, like not hold shame around that, but just being, um, being there for it and, and, and yeah. listening and, um, and being led and that's um, got to be not by for... people that are necessarily managers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's not leadership is um, I think Brene Brown um, has this definition of leader and I'm probably misquoting it, but she talks about how leaders um, see the potential in people and processes and have the courage to um, encourage them to, to live to that potential um, yeah. to reach that potential. And I, and so that's, that's sort of our attitude about leadership is um, you don't have to be, you know, in an owner partner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't it. have to be yeah. a managing partner. Like yeah. <laughs> you just have to have the courage to to stand up for that and for those that potential. So Yeah. And, and, and listening like that, learning that skill about listening, I mean, it's got to be a good thing to learn if you're a, if you're an advisor, right? I mean, if you're in professional services and you're advising people and you're not able to listen, then that's gonna be an Yeah. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the thing is always not the thing, right? Like, yeah. like <laughs> I mean, in our job, right? In our job as yeah, yeah. IP attorneys, it's, we listen to our clients, they come to us with what they think the problem mm -hmm. is, and we have to listen and understand, Yeah, is that really the problem? Or do they have other problems? You know, yeah. do they have more problems, and then help them navigate how to solve that. And um, having practice with communication, um, and, and listening to the, the people communicate differently. People have different ways of approaching things. Um, and, and having that practice by having that inclusive culture yep. is, is very useful. I think not it, just for a good culture building, but, but for doing our jobs. Yeah. And, and the, the, the inclusive culture, I think sort of like when you start to, to really go down the rabbit hole and sort of dig deep into that, then it becomes something that goes so many layers down but it always surprises me anyway, because as somebody who am I from an underrepresented group? I guess I am because my background is not sort of, I mean, no one in my family went to university before me and we were very blue collar, right? Which is not normal mm -hmm. uh, in the IP sector. So maybe there's an, there's an element of that, but for most people, what they've experienced as underrepresented groups, I've not experienced, right? And so there's a, there's a, a way that I go about doing my thing and there's a way that other people go about doing their thing in, in the dominant groups that in itself, just by sort of in itself is exclusive, right? Because I mean, I'll give an example. I've used an example before about, um, so you guys don't play rugby, right? But you know what it is, right? It's not too diff different. There are to... people that play rugby. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> you might not. They play uh... it at the park. <laughs> Um, so, so it's not so big in, in the States, right? No, it's not, is it? it not, anyway, not like it is in the UK, anyway, right? Anyway. Yeah. But, but there's this, there's a particular type of 
guy that plays rugby, right? Drinks a lot, um, kind of. Uh, those nights can get pretty raucous, right? And they might end up with sort of not very many clothes on, dancing on tables and that sort of thing. I wouldn't know. I've never been. But um, <laughs> that if and if if you could invite you could invite um, a woman to that party a million times, right? And she would always probably met most of them would probably say, "Do you know what? That's not really for me. You guys get on with your thing." And and I don't know if that's a very good example or a very good sort of analogy of, of what I'm talking about, which is that they have a way of going about their business, and it wouldn't matter even if they all wanted to be inclusive and if they all wanted to to get more underrepresented people into that they wouldn't join it because it's not really built for them right they're not centering the people that they want to include they're centering themselves still so as long as you're continuing to center yourself and what you want then don't be surprised if it doesn't include people who don't want that yeah if you want to know what other groups want you have to ask yeah they might want to you might find a woman that wants to be a part of that but i'm sure i'm sure there would be a couple yeah (laughs) but um likely no yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not triggering. Be... Like no one wants to see that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and and so, but but I think that's kind of maybe you've just um, encapsulated it really, really well, which is just not putting yourself at the center. But it's always seemed like a really big challenge for me because there's all this stuff that I do without thinking that's automatic um, because I'm part of a dominant group. I mean, I should clear up just for anybody listening. I I don't uh, get naked and dance on tables at rugby clubs. Um, <laughs> I haven't done that. I haven't done that for decades. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even remember that guy. <laughs> but um, but the you know, there's all this stuff that I sort of do without thinking, and you know, it's sort of it feels really, really hard to try and understand all of those bits and unpick them from the way that we do things. Um, and this is a lovely segue into into what you've done, right? Which I am just in awe of, anyway. Um. I've said to you before, you're a bit of work here, I'm mine. Um, but uh, <laughs> and and I want to talk about that, which is how you've gone about doing that, right? Um, because there will be people out there, lots of people out there, and I know there are lots of people out there. And you know, it a lot of the community on LinkedIn that I sort of um, talk to uh, regularly feel very strongly about this. But how? So we know it's right, and we've talked a bit about the benefits of it and, and the complexities and the difficulties of it. But how how did you go about it in, in your firm? And if you can talk about it, like challenges that you faced and and stuff that you got right, stuff that you got wrong, what you've learned and how you've seen it change. That's a big question, but. You might have to remind me of some of those questions. Um, just <laughs> going back to some of the things you said, like some of the struggles that you mentioned about your own self. Like I think learning to pause Mm-hmm. and like respond versus react um mm-hmm. when you feel like i mean this goes back to like meditation and things like your therapist might tell you right it's like when you feel like your stomach clamp up like when you feel yeah. the heat rise in your face or wherever you feel yeah. that ang- anxiety in your body like noticing it and pausing Awareness, and knowing yeah. that like it's okay to pause yeah. you don't have to respond right now if you hear something that you think is wrong and you don't know how to react to it in that moment um, it's okay for you to just pause you can go back to it right you can talk to somebody later Um, and I think learning that like that is an available tool um, so pausing and just you know that that is just use that tool and then also asking why like why are we doing it this way why do we have this process what was the 
because every process was created with like a solution in mind to a problem. Like people don't hopefully create random processes, right? And systems. So, so but like I'm sometimes not sure those, about that. yeah, sometimes <laughs> they might. But like, yeah, they, um, so if you're, if you have a system or you have a process in an organization that may have an unintended unfair consequence, um, not being defensive about that process or system, but just asking why, like, why do we have it? And what purpose was it intended to serve? If it was intended to serve fairness, but you're realizing it isn't achieving that, then what, what can be done to change that? And just spending time with it and not feeling the need to rush it, I think is really important. And it's something that, that that we have been doing along our way. Um, The, you asked like how the firm has how we started this journey and what we've been doing so (laughs) i did Um, there was a lot in that question though so i'll break it it down and i'll do it one step at a time but before Mm -hmm. i do there's something that's just occurred to me um listening to you talk which is i don't i don't know if there's an easy answer to this but whose responsibility is this and i don't don't just say oh it's everyone's responsibility right i mean you know (laughs) because i think you might be i could sense you're about to say that but is there a greater responsibility on the dominant group to do more here? I would say yes, because yeah, if the underrepresented group, groups could have eradicated racism yeah. or sexism, they yeah. certainly would have done it a very long time ago. Yeah. Why yeah. in the world would they have continued <laughs> this? Um, so yes, it is 100%, I think, in, incredibly important for people in dominant groups to learn what they can do to yeah. uh, make it better. Do you know, I'm so um, glad you said that. Because I would have hated it and I, I, I probably didn't, I'm not a very good interviewer, but I probably would have done a really bad thing if I'd said to you, don't just say it's everyone. And then that, that had been what your answer was going to be. It wasn't going to be that. I'm so, <laughs> glad, <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't because it would just, yeah. just have been an F answer. As no, well, but, and I but. think um, one of the things that has really benefited us and our growth as an organization mm-hmm. is the um, that, that we center underrepresented groups. So um, you know, there's a book called White Fragility. Um, if people are interested in reading it, if you're if you're white, I would encourage you to read it. But one of the things it talks about is like white saviorism and like how yeah. um, you, you want to, in your efforts to be helpful, you might not understand the problem as well. You don't have the point of view that the underrepresented exactly. group might have. Yeah. And so it's, um, how are you going to solve a problem that you haven't experienced? Yeah. Um, that doesn't really feel fair, especially to the people who think, you know, they, they've, they've lived this and they, they have solutions. They know what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and so listening to them and, and, and centering that experience um, is, I think it's really important for an organization um, and the way that we do that. I mean, that, that all sounds great. I'm sure to the audience, but um, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, some ways in which we have done that is first of all, we hired um, a DEI consultant group um, called okay. I change collaborative yeah. and their background was um, they were actually middle, like middle school teachers. So you can imagine their initial yeah. audience was very difficult. Yeah. Um, and, Not as difficult you know, as partners in a law firm, I bet. But. I don't know. <laughs> um, but but they um, came up with this um, <clears throat> paradigm of like, it's, it's about communication. It's about listening. It's about um, mm-hmm. understanding people. And because we can't deny someone's experience. So if, you, if no, I tell exactly. you yeah. my experience, like I just made sexism very real to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're like, oh, I know Meredith. She's my friend. I trust her. And that experience, like I know that happened. I can't dismiss what happened to her. 
right? In the same way that you could if you like heard about something on the news or yeah. saw it in a movie. Like you don't know that person, right? Or even um, it might not be what happened. It's not necessarily about objective facts, but it's how, how somebody felt. That's right. That's, yeah, that's, that's the bit I mean. that, you, yeah. you know, you definitely can't dispute yeah. that, you know. Was... Right. Like that's how I felt. Yeah, exactly. Or that's how someone felt. And um, yes, and you, the perception is... It's not Everything, a debatable right? thing. Yeah. You can't <laughs> debate it. perception. Like you have to just deal with it. So, yeah. um, so like the the first year, I think we started with them in 2018 or 2019, and um, we had these. Um, they would do these workshops with us, and they would come in. Yeah, I think quarterly maybe, and they would do these workshops on just communication, like mm-hmm. um, learning. And then um, a week later, we would have a follow-up where we like had digested what had happened in the three-hour workshop. And then we got to come with our questions and be like, what didn't sit with me well? What do I have a question about? Um, one of the interesting things they did at the very beginning were these fish bowls. So they took yeah. um, like they took a group of millennials and they put them in the middle and then everybody yeah. else was on the outside. And the millennials among themselves talked about what it felt like to be a millennial. Yeah. And then the the older generations got in the middle and the millennials are on the outside and they, you know, we talked about our right. perspective. And so you and then, just observing the yeah, you just observing. group talk about their experience, right? Yeah. yeah. And then we did it with men and women. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so you, you could feel the commonality within the group that you were in. And then you got to listen to the perspective of the other group. It was, it was fascinating. Um, yeah, and there's still, and it taught us since then, you know, it feels like we are more equipped to have conversations like, Oh, you know, I approached the problem this way because this was my story. This was my underlying assumption. Yeah. And then to be able to say, well, oh, well, this person was actually thinking about it in this other way yeah. um, because of their underlying assumptions. And so it's 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 just about like giving people grace for their stories. Um, and then so that we started with those workshops. Well, and let's then, go back because how yeah. did it? I mean, that, it can't have started with with the workshops. There must have been conversations before that because if you're going to get a consultant involved then there must have been agreement in the partnership and there must have been conversations about doing that and everybody sort of saying yeah we think this is a good thing so how did it start what was the really the start point I think as we grew I think the firm firm was started in 2010 um, Mm -hmm. and as the firm began to grow and became you know a more diverse workforce um firm's always been committed to its mission is to exceed client and employee expectations. So part of that is like, how do we, how do we exceed employee expectations, right? How do we make um, our employees feel like they belong and how do we, it's a very collaborative environment. So how do we, you know, mine ideas from each other? Like we want to hear, like if our head accountant has an idea about how we can do our accounting processes better, like how do we ensure that that person feels comfortable sharing those ideas? Right. And so there was, um, sort of realization that, mm-hmm. you know, we needed to do some intentional work around sure. creating this culture of belonging. Um, and, and we didn't know how to do it because we're a bunch of engineers and you know <laughs> lawyers. And um, <laughs> so we, <laughs> I mean, we thought, you know, we're, I think we're good people, yeah. but um, you know, and we have good intentions, but what does that, how does that translate? And so um, we did some research and we found this group um, and they were, they were kind of in their little startup phase and um, they had done some work at our children's school and had done some yeah. really great work around identity, um, like talking about identities and um, c- creating, um, I think too, like there's been a history of um, some of the people when they had been at other organizations had been forced to do yeah. these DEI 
workshops. Um, yeah. And they had seen people who were forced to do that, that um, weren't ready for those conversations, derail the conversations, which sure. created more hurt. Um, and so like, again, we wanted to focus on communication skills. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought that's the first step. We believe that, you know, you build from that empathy and then um, that makes more things possible. And so um, that's why we hired that particular organization. And then we didn't make it mandatory. Um, we just thought, well, the people who are interested will participate and then they will um, we'll just continue. We'll just build momentum okay. that way through leading by example. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how we've done it. And I mean, you know, you, sometimes I want to make it mandatory because I don't want to be the one that has to say something. Um, but after, since we've been doing it for several years um, now we're in this situation where we're having these conversations about like for people who don't participate, like why don't you participate and understanding better, you know, and a lot of it sure. is back to your original point is this, this fear, this fear yeah. of causing more harm of not knowing what to say of sounding, you know, biased. Um, and what now that we have the language and sort of this critical mass of people that are moving forward when on this journey, um, we can say, like, we can talk about like, listen, you can just, you can just listen. You can yeah. just show up to these workshops and listen. Um, one of the other things that we've done, and we did this in part coming out of the pandemic and how to reestablish this culture within the firm was we started these small groups and it's, we took everybody at the firm and we divided them into groups of three and they yeah. meet once a month and you're paired with your, that's your triad for the quarter, for the, yeah. for six months of the year. Okay. So we did this last year and then they met and they talked about, um, we gave people a list of questions they could use to guide the conversation if they wanted to, but they met for like 30 minutes to an hour a month um, just to get to know different people in the firm and um, just reestablish that culture and, um, and practice listening and, and communicating. And um, one of the things that we're going to be doing this year um, is in our DEI workshops where we do talk about like how to create psychologically safe spaces. How do we give feedback? How do we, um, how do we center underrepresented people? Like, you know, when we talk about those things in, in those workshops, which are more difficult topics and more yeah. uncomfortable topics for um, <clears throat> people in those dominant groups, often um, when we do the breakouts, you know, the Zoom breakouts, we're going to, yeah. you'll be broken out with your small group with whom you have a prior relationship of like communicating um, already. And, and so we hope that that helps to drive more participation because if you don't show up and your small group is there, then they won't have a whole group to talk to. So um, that's the hope. uh, Well, I'll let you know. (laughs) I'll update you if it doesn't work, but that's our, um, that's our way of um, positively encouraging more participation, but also creating a space that challenges people, but at the same time um, makes it accessible so that we can have yeah. more people participate in a way that is safe to the underrepresented groups. Yeah. And I so. think that's kind of what I meant when I talked earlier about you sort of not being judgmental, even at, you know, towards people who were struggling to become involved in the process mm-hmm. because, and, and trying to do it in a positive way that brings them on board. And I guess there's an amount of normalization around it, I suppose as well, normalization of the conversations and of the, um, having these types of discussions and then it becomes something that's not different after a while you hope so people are more easily yeah, involved i think um so i'm going to keep quoting Brene brown because i think she's amazing but she <laughs> talks about like you know there's shame right where you're like i am a bad person right and mm. there's like 
being embarrassed. Like I did something bad and I'm embarrassed about it, but I'll get yeah. over it. Like, I'll yeah. be, it doesn't mean this is I'm who sure. I am. I, some of the things I've done, I've never got over. But. Yeah. <laughs> so she talks about like an antidote to shame is empathy. Right. And so yeah. one of the things that you were saying earlier um, is, um, you know, worrying about what to say and worrying about how to approach yeah. this. And um, even though like, as you always say, like you're a middle-aged white man. Um, but you've got this, like you mentioned earlier, like you've got this blue collar background and that yeah. might not be, um, you can draw on that background um, in the ways that you might have felt left out Yeah. to have empathy for ways that other people might feel left out because of the way that like they were born, you know, yeah. and you can also understand like, gosh, you know, that was, that made me feel uncomfortable at like formal dinners, or I didn't know what to do the first time I walked into a law firm. Right. Yep. And so you can have empathy for in the way that like you had this like lack of experience maybe, right. Or this lack of upbringing um, and like how to get along or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. but um, just understanding that, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same as being no, a person of so color. It's not the same as being a woman. It's not the same as being LGBTQ. Right. Like it's not the same, but it can allow you a space from which to draw empathy, which yeah. is what I think is necessary to it's good you say that because, along. I mean, we've said the word empathy has come up a lot in the last sort of few minutes in particular. And is that, I mean, you don't want to boil an issue like this down to a single word, but I mean, really, is that what we're talking about at the heart of all of this is just being empathetic to other people's point of view? Yeah. Make like creating space for it. Yeah. 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 Like it's not, you don't feel sorry. Like it's not, it's not um, sympathy. It's like, yeah. I understand where you're coming from and yeah. I can hold space for that. And I want to hear your ideas. I'm I'm yeah. curious about what you bring. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, the, the, and when you, you make probably, a mistake on the same token, like this is where I'm at with the shame piece. It's like the way, right? you make a mistake, you say something, yeah. you know, like they, your bias is showing, like your slip is showing, right? So <laughs> you say something and, um, you're like, oh, I'll tell you oh, one. I'll, I didn't I'll, say I'll that right. I'll come clean about one, um, which is that I said in a meeting once that um, that a female colleague was bossy, mm -hmm. right? And somebody put, and another female colleague pulled me up on that rightly, you know, and said you would not say that about about a man. Mm -hmm. And she she was right. She was she was spot spot on, and and that has completely changed. That that changed my. That was a, quite a key moment me actually because it was one of those realizations that a lot of the language and a lot of the things that we say actually um it's part of just the way it's just the norms right and we've got to try to change change those norms um yeah and just having empathy towards what that feels like for we're programmed for yeah and, it, yeah, and it's and a so pejorative term stop that programming. Yeah. yeah what would i have said about a male colleague maybe i'd have said that he's assertive or confident right um, which are positive, they're, <laughs> but they're positive things, right? Uh, whereas mm -hmm. bossy is this sort of negative thing. And it's just, um, so that's me coming clean about something that I did. And your work is to sit with, why did you, why did her approach? Why did that, why did you feel the need to comment on it at all? Yeah. Yeah. Like what made you feel uncomfortable about it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. what we do by ourselves yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> afterwards like why did that feel threatening <laughs> what's going on with me <laughs> i don't want to be this way but yeah we have to sit with that yeah yeah um, so what um in your firm now and also with your clients and things like that have you noticed any i mean obviously i mean we've talked about it so much now that it's almost seems like a, a silly question because you, of course you would have noticed some positives but are there any real standout things that 
you think have been really, really positive that come out of the process of everything that you've done, all the work that you've done over the last three years? In what way? I guess, um, well, I guess what I'm trying to get to is there's people listening to this who might be in law firms. There's people listening to this who might be sort of potential clients of law firms. And I, I want to sort of to get across to them the benefits of doing this, going through this process themselves, because it's a lot of work, right? I mean, I, I, I don't think that you've, it's not always an easy path to take. It challenges people on lots of different levels. So what are the, have you noticed anything different, fundamentally different about your firm that means it's a better place now than it was when you began? Um, I think we feel um, there's more psychological safety mm-hmm. and trust among members of the team. Yeah. Um, we get better feedback mm-hmm. from employees that might not otherwise share their feedback. Sure because they didn't feel safe doing so. So then we're able to improve on our systems, um, able to improve on our culture because we have a better understanding of where the issues are and what the problems are. Um, Right. It's more fun. I mean, we get to have like, be more creative. Um, Like it's just fun together, right? Like we enjoy each other, learning about each other. Um, When we have new people come in, uh, they, they kind of can't believe it. Like they're really? like this, like, yeah, they're always like, I, I'm like pinching myself. This is, this is wild. I never imagined like they don't believe it, you know? And I mean, I think there's some, it's not like everybody's like, Oh, this is like Camelot. No, like, it's like <laughs> probably not that great analogy. Um, and um, edit that out um, anyway. Um, but I think that people, they, they feel like there's spaces for them to belong, even if it's yeah. not the whole space all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that um, just to get back to what you're asking about. What do we do? We have these affinity groups. So right now um, we can have any affinity group we want to. Everyone knows that they can ask for an affinity group if we don't have one right now. But currently we have a, a black affinity group. We have a woman affinity group. And then we have two ally affinity groups. We have a white awareness affinity group and we have a male awareness affinity group. And so. Okay. Um, so just the, describe to me what an affinity group is so it's a group of people that have something in common okay and so the black affinity group um they are they are all black and they talk about um they just get together every month and they talk about um issues that are common to them whether it's based on them being black or not and then the the women group same thing we meet and we talk about um the facilitators that we hired i change they come in they have somebody that comes and leads the conversation to get us um thinking about like what is it like to be a woman, like what, how do we feel supported? How do we feel not supported? And then mm-hmm. to sort of work through those issues together. Um, and then, and then we have, so we do the, in the, the white awareness group um, meets and we talk about, again, with the facilitators um, exploring like our white identity and what does that mean and how sure. has that benefited us and how has that harmed us? Um, and so has racism harmed us too like it, it harms everybody so yeah. like because we need to get in touch with that to be able mm-hmm. to to center people of color and um be allies and, yeah. and so then the male awareness group same thing they spend a lot of time thinking about like what is it like you know being a male like in this world and what does that mean and um <clears throat> and learning about how they can be allies for women so and then so we do those the first two months of the year of a quarter and then the third quarter the third month of the quarter we have a firm-wide workshop with the facilitators again that they and they bring us all together and we sort of sift through issues that we've talked about in the separate groups so um it's it 
the groups are sort of talking about a theme and then we come together and talk about that theme all together. But the yeah. information, it's not like, we're not saying like Meredith, tell everybody what it's like to be a woman, like, because <laughs> I'm only one woman. <laughs> I can't speak for all the women. Right. Um, so yeah. it's. Unless um, you shake a car. You can't yeah. if you shake a car. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's, it's been, um, it's been really useful for not, not putting the burden on any one of us to share. Sure our stories or, or our perspectives um, and, and allowing us to rally around each other. Yeah. Um, and then to feel like the support of other people at the firm that aren't like us that are attending mm-hmm. these workshops to be yeah. like, okay, like these people care, they want to learn. Yeah. We may not always say the right thing. Yeah. You know, our bias might be showing, but we have language and we also learn like language that we can use to, they call it calling people in, not calling people out. Right. So like like you say something in a meeting about somebody being bossy. Right. And then like, maybe not in the, maybe I'll say something in the meeting. Um, but maybe afterwards I'll be like, Hey, you know, you said this, like, what's going on with that? How do you think that made somebody feel right? And then you don't feel like, um, You've been exposed in front of everybody, right? Right, it's, but you have the opportunity now to go back to that person and have like sure. the kind of conversation that you need to have. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just taking that pause and um, yeah, allowing us to grow because that's mm-hmm. really what we want. We want people yeah. to grow and to yeah move from those biases. So, I mean, I th- I think I I tell you, I mean, we we talk a lot anyway, um, and I tell you all the time that I think what you're doing is absolutely I think it's amazing and I, I think it's rare as well that's okay um and I think it's rare as well that's the other thing and I wonder whether you get a perception that it's rare do you feel like a pioneer here do you feel like what you're doing is sort of should be more widely done or you know it's it, I, I feel like people don't talk about it yeah they talk about diversity and they talk about diversity initiatives and that's great because there's certainly we have a need for that so yeah Thank you to all the people who were taking that on. I don't hear us talk as much about inclusion initiatives. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it just, it pulls at my heartstrings that we would like bring people in from these, you know, from underrepresented groups and then um, not have them. an inclusive environment yeah. <laughs> for them to grow yeah. and and reach yeah. their potential within. And so I think it's really important that we need, we do need to talk about inclusion. We need to talk about what works, what doesn't work. Like, what have we tried? What failed? Um, I'll tell you that we, the way the affinity groups came about is, um, we had these listening sessions every Monday, we just called them Monday lunches. And this was, um, following like the summer of 2020 after George Floyd was killed. And, um, we didn't know, like, we were all just like, we were in the pandemic. We don't like, we couldn't come together in person. And we just felt like we needed a space to, to grieve together and to, um, just process together. And, um, so we, we had these Monday lunches and, um, when somebody, um, when the news had reported in the past week that somebody had died, um, at the hands of police, we would like talk about that person and grieve that the loss of that person. And then if we had a week off, um, we would talk about, um, you know, like racial reckoning and like, like, like where we are and, and, and what's going on and, and, um, like how we can support each other. Yeah. Um, but it was very um, unplanned. And then um, one of our black employees, he was like, he was, um, we did a lot of work together in this space. And and he said, Meredith, I think that um, 
some things had gotten said in the lunch meeting that sure. weren't intended. It was part of somebody else's growth, but it was not, uh, it was centering that person, a, a white person and not a, a black person in that sure. moment. And um, this, my colleague said to me, like, we need, um, we need our healing spaces and you need yours. Yeah. We need to break okay. this up. And okay. I was like, yep. Yeah, okay. Got it. And so that's just an example of like being led yeah. um, by the, the black group of employees who were like, look, like we're not, not doing this with you. Like this is too, it's too painful. Um, and so we, that's when we started the affinity groups. Um, and, um, we still felt it was important to have an opportunity to share with each other that that created yep. opportunities for courage, um, and understanding and, and in practicing. But so we, we think that's, why we kept the, the quarterly workshop, but we did split up those groups yeah. to allow for that safe space for people to do their healing. Okay. Um, and so I, I thought that was, it's, it's, it's been really useful. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, our, our affinity groups have been, uh, the black affinity group, especially they are, um, they're coming up with all kinds of awesome ideas about yeah. um, how to create more inclusion at the firm. And yeah. it's been, it's been wonderful to like see them progress over the last couple of years and, and find their leadership voice and um, yeah. Yeah. It's share their ideas. Yeah. And, and I think, like I said, everything you're doing, I think is. Um, and I inspiring the rest of us, right? Like they're just, there's, there's, they're very inspired. The group is very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, I mean, I don't want to make it a love in, but I think you're pretty ins inspirational as well. You know, what you're doing <laughs> here with, and I know there'll be a lot of people that know you already that might listen to this and that some that don't know you, but that they will think the same. And I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it because it, it isn't always easy to talk about these things, but you're right. We've got to do it anyway. Right. Um, yeah. because not, not doing it is not, not the solution. Right. And I, I heard this, um, tip last week. Um, if you hear, cause often I think we freeze in the moment that we hear something offensive. Yeah. Um, like if somebody says something that we don't think is the right thing to say and somebody said, well, just repeat back. Like, even if you're like in the moment, you can just be like, so you just said <laughs> that she was bossy. <laughs> And you can just say that back and then they hear it and they're like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, or they'll be like, yeah, whatever. And you're like, <laughs> okay. So then you can like, it gives you a minute to like catch your breath, but it yeah, also yeah. allows them the opportunity yeah. to catch it themselves and to, you know, be able to comment Yeah. what they wish, like a do-over, right? Like Great try tip. again. <laughs> Great tip. Yeah. All right. We should probably wrap it up. I mean, you and I kind of like, we, we usually sort of plan to talk for like 45 minutes and we usually yeah. it's, it's an hour and a half two hours yeah, yeah. yes yes <laughs> but thinking well, of the listener, we should probably say, no no thank you I really I really appreciate you coming on I gen genuinely do um and I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this um that kind of that they might want to reach out and they might want to talk about other things maybe let's hope fingers crossed some leaders of law firms think this sounds like a really great thing to do. Uh, yes. I'm going to reach out to Meredith and I'm going to start doing it myself. Um, so where can people get hold of you if they want to do that? So LinkedIn, um, yeah. you're welcome to reach out on LinkedIn, send me a note. Um, we, yeah. can, we can exchange phone numbers. I'm happy to get on the phone or um, email me. Um, you can go to our firm's website, mccipilaw.com. And I'm, I'm on there and yeah. my email, my phone number is on there and happy to to chat. I'm always yeah. happy to talk about this and um, hear what other organizations are doing and share what we're doing and what worked and what didn't and um, our journey, um, you know, 
And you are genuinely always happy to, to talk about that. So my dogs, mm-hmm. he, he can he can detect when I'm about to finish a call, and it's he almost wants to dinner. Go on that walk. It's almost dinner time. It's dinner time. <laughs> oh, tenor. So he's now it's very important. Me. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but um, yeah, and I've int- I know I've introduced you and sent a couple of people your way, and I think you have always been happy to chat to them. So yeah, I would encourage people to reach out and to do that. Um, okay um, right well that's the end of the show thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time on where's the exit